If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 4. Uh, last week, um, Matt did a great job uh, of talking about uh, the counterfeit feasts that we go to, um, helping us recognize that there, there are plenty of options for us to feast on, but there's only one that gives life. Right? All these other feasts, they promise to satisfy our deepest hungers, our deepest thirst, but, but they were never capable of that. So for the next two Sundays, uh, we're talking about Jesus is the feast, right? Today is, is part one. Uh, like I said, we'll be, in, we'll be in John 4. We're going to start there uh, uh, talking about a maybe familiar story to you, maybe not, but it's, it's the Samaritan woman at the well. And then we'll skip forward to John 6, where Jesus over and over again, proclaims that he is the bread of life come down from, from heaven. So uh, both passages were, were already read, so I won't read each and every verse. Um, but uh, we come to John 4. Jesus, he's, uh, he's tired from the journey he's been on. Uh, he sits down at this well. A Samaritan woman comes out to draw water from there. She, she draws water from there every day. Uh, the disciples weren't with him. They went into the city to go and buy food. Jesus sees this woman, and, and he asks her for a drink. Um, and she, she brings up to him, like, hey, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Our people don't get along. Like, how in the world, how, how can you ask me for a drink? In verse 10, he responds to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she responds. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? water. And, and that, that makes my mind go to two different places, two different thoughts, I guess. The first is that we, we are stuck in thinking that, that this world, this physical world, is it, that it is everything, right? And if you're, if you're a believer, um, intellectually, you know that the physical world isn't everything. There's a spiritual reality, right? There's more, uh, not, not just an afterlife, but there's, there's more to what we see now and, and so often can perceive. But in your day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions, is that actually reflected? Is it, is it reflected that this world is not everything? Or do you, do I live as if this really is it. That's, that's the first thought. C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, if I find, myself, uh, find in myself a longing that this world cannot meet, it probably means I was made for another world. Uh, in another place, he says, how could an idiotic universe have produced creatures whose mere dreams are so much stronger and better than itself, right? Better than the universe. Then he says, do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would that fact itself not strongly suggest that they had not always been or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? And then he shifts it to us. If you are really the product of a materialistic universe, how is it that you don't feel at home here? Man, he's right on. So that, that's the first place my mind goes, is that, that we are. We, we just get stuck in, 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 we get fooled into thinking that this physical world is everything, and, and we ignore that we are made for more. The second is, uh, I, I love her response to Jesus. She says, sir, you, you have nothing 
to draw with, and this well is deep. There's another translation that reads, you don't even have a bucket. (laughs) Do we doubt that Jesus has what it takes to give us what we need? I know I do at times. Are we skeptical that Jesus really can give us life or really will give us life? Right? Do we believe that, that in, in whatever our circumstances are, whether, whether we're, we're on the highest mountaintop feeling great or, or in the deepest, darkest valley battling discouragement every day, do we believe that Jesus can satisfy? Because we're surrounded by counterfeit feasts that look really, really tempting. There's this constant invitation to feed on what was never meant to truly satisfy, not permanently. So continuing on in verse 12, she asked, are you better than our father Jacob who dug this well? He drank from it himself. And he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What Jesus gives is nothing like what the world offers. Nothing satisfies permanently. No experience, no product, no amount of wealth, no friendship, no romance. At best, the thirsting, the hungering, it's satiated for a time, but it will return. And we know that's how it works, and yet we long for it to be permanent. And here Jesus says, the the water I give, it's this continual spring that wells up. It overflows, right? It's never ending. You don't have to travel for it. I I bring it to you. I put it in you, right? And, And it wells up to eternal life. The flowing never ceases. It's always there to refresh you, always there to sustain you and satisfy your thirst, Jesus, our living water, he gives us the life that we long for. He invites us to come and drink from him. Verse 15, the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I can't tell if she's sincere or sarcastic here, but either way, in verse 16, Jesus says, call your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she had been trying for years to satisfy her, her thirst, right? And, and she did that in, in, in longing for men. And, and you've probably heard, like I've heard so many times, that she went from man to man to man, that, that she was a home wrecker. We don't actually know that. Like we, we, we fill that in, but we don't know. Like maybe she was just used over and over again. Maybe some of her husbands died. Maybe she was faithful and they were not. We don't know. But what we do know is now she's with another man, but not married to him. And so she comes to this well every day to satisfy her thirst. And, and it's, it's the perfect metaphor, metaphor, not just for her, but for everyone. We thirst. And, and here, here, here's this well that, that seems like it will do the trick for me, at least for a time. So we drink of it. And, and we come back time after time because it's the best we can seem to do. Right? We don't know what else to do. So we settle for this well. We drink from this water that was never meant to be our ultimate satisfaction. We were made to be satisfied in God. We were made to treasure God. We were made for, for him to be what is precious to us. 
Skip down to verse 25. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And it's understandable to me that she had just no idea who Jesus was. Right? Even with what he had said about living water, about eternal life, she needed Jesus to tell her, I'm the Christ. And so her brain's spinning now. Here she is. Her adult life has just been disappointment after disappointment for one reason or another. And she comes to the well midday in the heat alone. And this daily trip to the well is a reminder of how unsatisfied she truly is in life. And you've been there before. Or maybe, maybe you're there right now. And you try, we try suppressing those feelings and maybe for a time, maybe for even long stretches of time. Like Matt talked about, sometimes we, we just try to numb ourselves to that. But it always finds a way to resurface, right? We can never escape it. And, and for her, on that day, it was different. Not only was there someone at the well, but someone who said that they were the Messiah. They were the Christ. Someone who offered satisfaction that would never end. Someone who said, that what they had to give was eternal life. So verse 28, like she, she ditches her water jar. She heads into town looking for people to talk with. She's going back to the village. She's processing everything that Jesus had said, right? Just having heard that Jesus is the promised Savior, I'm sure she's asking herself, is, is he the one that can free me from this cycle I've been stuck in? Is that possible? What does it mean? What does he mean to drink from this living water? Verse 29, she says to the people in the village, she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I'm not sure if there's a more important question. If you've never asked that question, ask it today. Is it true that Jesus is the one who came to save us? Is it true that he's the source of life? Last week, Matt mentioned the the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were banished from the garden, the hunt for life has been on. Every person ever has been searching for what gives life. And Jesus says, I'm the one that gives life. Let's jump to John 6 if you have your Bibles. And and to give you more context than than what was read earlier. So uh, beginning of John 6 is the feeding of the 5,000 men plus their their women and children. So we really don't know how many people it was. But Jesus takes five loaves of bread, he takes a couple fish, and he multiplies it. And as we read this in John, I think it's it's to flash us back uh, to Exodus. You know in a movie where there's a, a flashback scene, right, where you get more of the backstory to either help develop the character or, or help you understand the plot. Um, this is meant to flash us back to Exodus, to when God freed Israel uh, from slavery in Egypt, right? So they're on the move. It's Exodus 16. They're grumbling. Uh, they don't remember what life was really like in Egypt as slaves, even though it hadn't been that long ago. Matt pointed out that they said, in Egypt, we had meat pots. No, you didn't, right? That, that does not exist anywhere. Um, so what does God do? He provides manna, right? Six out of seven mornings, this, this manna, this, this flaky substance would appear on the ground, and, and they would use it to make bread or cakes. It was kind of, it was sweet. 
So each morning, God provided it for them. On the sixth day, um, they, they gathered enough for, for the sixth and seventh, for, for the Sabbath, the day of rest. So he gave them what they needed, right? Their daily bread. They couldn't provide for themselves. This was only because of God's provision. He met their needs. So back to John 6, Jesus multiplies the bread and, and everyone's full. There's, there's leftovers. There's 12 baskets full of leftovers. The people are filled. They're excited. I think it's, I think it's verse 15 uh, that Jesus recognizes that the people are so excited that they want to forcibly make him king, right? They, they loved the bread. They loved the fish so much that they were going to take him by force and make him their king. So he withdraws to a mountain. His disciples during that time then get in a boat and take off. They're going to go to the other side. They get about three miles across. There's this storm brewing, and these guys, uh, they're familiar with water. They're familiar with storms. This is a a severe storm, and and they don't know what to do. They don't know if they're going to make it. Um, Jesus then comes strolling across the water, and we're not even going to get into that. But he gets in the boat. Boat gets to the shore once Jesus is there. Next morning, the crowd gets up. They can't find Jesus, so they hop into boats. They, they cross to where he is on the other side with his disciples, and they question how Jesus got there since uh, they knew the disciples got in the boat without him. Verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Right? The multiplying of bread w- was a sign. Right? W- what, what does a sign do? And, and this isn't like some trick church question. Like, what does a sign do? It, it points. Right? It, it points to the thing that you're supposed to, to go find or go see. So in Bend, Oregon, at one of their state parks, um, my family and I went years ago, and we parked. We'd never been there before. I hadn't heard anything about the park. But we go, and we see a sign right when we get there, and it just says, Big Tree, and it has an arrow that points that way. And we were intrigued, partially because the name seems so stupid, Big Tree, like, like a four-year-old named, named the tree. Um, but we followed the trail. And, and sure enough, you come to a really stinking big tree. And, and you look at this big tree, and that name doesn't sound so stupid anymore because it really is incredibly big. But that's what a sign does, right? You, you see it. You follow to where it is pointing. Jesus says, you didn't even see the sign, right? Me multiplying the bread, that was this miraculous sign, a sign that you're, you're supposed to follow to where it points. Jesus is saying, it, it points to me. I'm what you need, but all you want is bread. I I filled up your tummies, and you want more. He's not happy. Verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And this, this certainly connects to last week and the counterfeit feasts. Don't work for food. Don't labor for food that, that perishes, right? The food that we eat, if we set it out long enough, it will rot. Or it should, at least. You should be scared if it doesn't. Jesus, Jesus says there's another food, right? And it's like this living water that he talked about in John 4, but now he's using bread. And he says it's a bread that, that doesn't rot. It's, it's a bread that endures uh, to eternal life, and it's from one source, 
It's from the Son of Man. It's from Jesus, who is from God. Verse 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, who he has sent. Right? You, you want to know what work you need to do? The work is non-work. The, the work for this food is, is you don't work Right? It's unlike any other transaction in, in, in life. Right? Everything else you work, you pay to get this thing. Your work for this food is believing. And John really, really cares about us believing. I think he uses the word believe 98 times in the gospel. Jesus says this, this work for food is believing in me. It's trusting. It's it's putting your faith in Jesus. And I know in some way, I'm guessing each and every Sunday, I mentioned faith in Jesus. And I was trying to think, like, how, how, do, how do I explain what, what faith in Jesus is? Um, and I couldn't think of how, so I decided to rip off Jonathan Edwards. Um, and this quote will be uh, on the screen, I believe. He says, faith is the soul's entirely adhering and acquiescing in the revelation of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Uh, oh, maybe we don't have it. Sorry, I thought we did. He keeps going as if he struggles to, to define faith as well. He says, faith is the soul's embracing that truth of God that reveals Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he says, or thus, faith is the soul's entirely acquiescing in and depending upon the truth of God Revealing Christ as our Savior. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, right? Death to self. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith is not a lightweight matter. Right? Though it, it, it may come what, in what seems like uh, an instantaneous moment, it isn't done on a whim. It is giving yourself as fully as you can to God and spending the rest of your life giving him more and more of who you are. Jesus reveals himself to you, and, and you see him as he truly is. You, you treasure him. Right? Not coming to him because he's useful to you. That's why the crowds came. Right, He gave bread. They wanted full stomachs. People will come toward God in something that might look like faith, but it's really because they find him useful. He, he meets maybe the strongly felt need in them in that moment in their life, but that doesn't mean that they have faith like what Edwards wrote about. Once that moment has passed, that felt need has been met, they move on to whatever else might be useful to them. Man, Christ is to be treasured. Or, or one pastor put it this way, Jesus didn't come to be useful to you. He came to be precious to you. Is Christ precious to you? Is he treasured by you? Or is he just one of the, the many highly valued things that you have? I love a particular word that Edward used when, when he said acquiescing. Has your soul acquiesced to the revelation of Jesus? Has your soul given into the revelation of who Jesus is? I picture being at the beach with, uh, with my kids, um, a warm beach, so it's not, it's not up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, 
And, and I, I, my kids, I'm guessing all kids like to do this, but uh, you, you go to the ocean, you, you see the waves coming in, and you want to go in and like see, like, can I take this wave on, right? So you, you, you kind of dig in as the wave hits, and, and you absorb it, and then you lean in waiting for the next one. And that's fun to do. That's all right. But what's way more fun to me is when you have a boogie board. I'm not good on a boogie board, but I've seen those who are, and I've tried to. Um, my, my, my boys were trying to teach me this summer how to do it well. But, but you're waiting for the, the, the right wave, right? And, and as it comes, you give yourself, right? You, you fully give your whole self to the wave, and it takes you wherever it wants, right? That's the acquiescing that I imagine. Right? Yeah, maybe there's an element of, God, I'm done fighting you, but even more so, it's, Lord, I am yours. All of me is yours. Right? That's the work of the bread of life. It is believing. It's giving yourself fully to Jesus. It's a lifetime of giving yourself to Jesus. Verse 30, they say to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you do or do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It was Yahweh that gave the manna, not Moses. But Yahweh is giving something greater now. Right, manna was just a sample, right, of this true bread that the Father is giving. This bread doesn't just feed your body for the day. This bread gives real life. It gives life to your dead soul. Verse 34, they say, sir, give us this bread, right? Just like the Samaritan woman saying, give me this living water so I don't have to come back here to this well. They say, give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Man, the invitation is come to Jesus and be satisfied, right? Whoever comes will not hunger or thirst. They will, they will eat and drink and be satisfied. 36, he, he says, but I, I, I said to you uh, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And that should make us pause, that we can see Jesus. We can know about him and not believe in him. Right? You can come to church every Sunday. You can, you can listen to songs about Jesus on your phone, in your car. You can, you can go to Bible studies. You can participate in ministry and not believe, not have faith. Right? You can see God provide for you and not give yourself to Jesus. But when you do, rest assured you are his. Verse 37 he says, all that, the Father has, uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jump to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread. 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the true bread. The manna was to point to Jesus. The law was to point to Jesus. The offerings, the sacrifices, the feast, they were all pointing to Jesus. And multiple times in this passage, Jesus says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. This bread is his flesh sacrificed for you and for me. Just about everything that we eat uh, has died so, so that, that we can eat it, right? Uh, salt hasn't died. Someone had to point that out to me. I'm like, oh, okay, good point. But almost everything that we eat has died, right? There are plants, I'm guessing, hopefully eat some vegetables today. There are plants that died for you. Uh, there, 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 there was an animal that I'm guessing you're probably going to eat at lunch. It died for you. Jesus died for us, his body broken for you and for me, right? The bread, it's got to be torn apart in order for us to eat it. But Jesus made himself breakable for you so that you could have life, right? He, he made himself able to be killed for you. I've been pondering that most of the week. Like I've always known, obviously, yes, Jesus died for me. Right? And I know that in order for him to die, it, it meant that he had to come in the flesh. But I, 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 didn't, I just didn't think uh, he had to make himself to be able to be killed for me. Right? He had to make himself vulnerable for you and for me in order to die on that cross. He, he came down to be the bread of life for us, the bread broken apart so that we can eat and live. And I, I don't know if you like bread or not, right? Like, some people love bread. Some people probably don't. Bread was the center of their meal. We probably think of meat as being the center of our meal. The rich could afford meat. For, for most people, bread was the centerpiece of their meal. And Jesus is saying, feast on me. Right? Make me the center of your meal. I'm the bread. Right? Everything else is just a side dish. Right? Those other foods, they're counterfeit when you make them the center. As a side dish, they're totally fine. That's what they were made to be. But they were never meant to be, nor capable of being the center of the, the meal. Augustine put it in a way that's, that's really helpful to me. He said that, that our loves are disordered. Right, the things that, that we should love the least, we, we love more, or maybe even the most. And, and what we should love the most, we love less. Right? And you can see how this plays out in life and how destructive it can be. If you love your job more than your spouse, I just ask you, how's that working out for you? Not well, right? Not not that loving your work is wrong. If we can do that, we should do that. But it's a big problem if your loves are out of order and you love your work more than your spouse. Or, or if, you, if you love working hard and earning money, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you love that more than you love integrity and honesty, then you're going to do underhanded things in business. You're going to cut corners. Uh, or if you love your kids most, which that sounds right to us, right? That, that we should love our kids most. If you do, we're going to suffocate them. You're going to smother them. You were made to love them, but not more than anything, right? But when you make them the source of your happiness, it will do damage to everyone, you and them. They were never made to be your everything. You were made to love God more than anything. 
So Augustine says, when you disorder your loves, or, or we can put it in another way, when, when you make these other things an, an idol, right, even good gifts that God has given, when you make something other than God your greatest love, it will not give you what you think. Uh, Augustine talks about, uh, about God and, and his, his, how he's perfectly relational within in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? They've been loving each other for all of eternity, and we were made to love God more than anything. So he says, don't, don't harden your heart, right? because these disordered loves aren't giving you what you want. The problem is you, you love these more than you love God, and you were never made to live that way. He says it would be cruel of God to let you be satisfied in that. It, it would be cruel if the feelings of satisfaction of anything temporal lasted some in the crowd, maybe they were okay with Jesus calling himself the bread of life, but eating his flesh was too much for the, the Jews, many of the Jews in the crowd. In verse 52, they, they disputed among themselves, right? How, how, can he, how, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, Jesus doesn't stop. He doubles down. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is that bread from heaven. He's the bread that nourishes our souls for eternity. Right? Life comes from feasting on Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in a rush to eat. Right? Sometimes I, I eat a meal so fast that it, it's, it's like I didn't even taste it. I, I might, as well, might as well have just had, like, taken a pill that would give me nutrition because I, I don't know what that food tasted like. Sometimes I'll, I'll be in such a rush that, that I'll eat like in the car as I'm driving, which is not, uh, not, not safe. Um, other days... Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I just skip a meal, or maybe I skip both lunch and breakfast, and, and that usually means that I eat too much at dinner. Uh, the other night, Linz texted me and, and said, hey, let, I think we have time for a date night tonight. Like, everything aligned with our kids' schedules, like, let's, let's go. So I zip home, um, and it's, it's, it's just the two of us, or obviously, that's what a date night would be. Never mind. We go together. We, got, we have four kids, so it's busy. Um, anyway, we get there so early that, like, I think there's only two tables in the whole restaurant that have people. Uh, it, it was empty. Uh, and, and I've told you this before, but Lindsay, like, I don't know. She, she sees a menu, and I can be staring at it for 20 minutes. I have no idea what I should order. And she goes, are you going to get this or this? And I look, and I'm like, oh, yes, those are perfect. And so I just spend, like, the next couple minutes, like, debating what I'm going to get. And she's, like, struggling to figure out what she's going to order. Well, anyway, the, the waitress talks her into to something that just sounds right uh, to my, my, wife's, my wife's heart and palate. Um, so I'm, I'm eating my, my prime rib sandwich on a ciabatta bun. With, with garlic, aioli, with arugula, which is both fun to say and eat. And, and I'm loving it, right? My taste buds are quite delighted. My wife has this thing where when she orders a food that she thinks I will really like, sh she cannot stop until I agree to take a bite. 
Like, I, I fight it every time. I don't know why. We do this little dance because I'm really not interested. I like what I'm eating. And then finally I give in because she's not going to quit. And I take a bite. And, and what she ordered was, uh, and whole, just bear with me here because it's not going to sound amazing, but I tell you, um, it was meatloaf. But better, better than your mom's meatloaf, I, I promise you. Um, and it was, it was like encased in this puff pastry. And then there were a couple sauces, right? So I, I, I pick it up. It was kind of a finger food. I, I pick it up. I take a bite. And man, it's like the world just went into color, if you remember. Like, like uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, when suddenly there's color. I was, I'm like, no way. And, and, and she's like, did you, did you put this on? I'm like, what is that? So I, I grab it, and she's like, it's Gouda. I love Gouda, right? It's this like Gouda fondue. I take a bite, even better somehow. There's another sauce. So I put that on. I have no idea what it was. It looked like a chutney to me, but I don't even really know what chutney is. And, and I take a bite of that, and it was so good. And I didn't rush it, like each bite. I took slowly. I savored it. I'm a vocal eater, which is kind of weird, but I'm like, babe, this is so good. And she's just smiling in total satisfaction that I love her food. Jesus says, come eat and drink, right? Eat the bread of life. Drink the living water. Be satisfied, Right, continuously eating and drinking, savoring, knowing that, that he is what nourishes you. He's what sustains you. He's what gives you life. Right? This, this drink and this food, we're never to stop taking these in. Right? What, what do you say about the, the living water? It's, it's this well. Right? It's this constant source. So, so we, we never stop. Right? To borrow from later in John, John 15, the vine and the branches. Man, the branch is always connected to, to Jesus, the vine. It's always drinking. It is constantly connected, continuously nourished by the vine. Does that describe you? Right? Does that describe you with Jesus? And I don't say that in, in, in a way to make you feel guilty, right? I'm not saying do more, read more, pray more, sing more, memorize more. No, I, I mean that in this invitational way. Be with Jesus, Right? Don't blitz through feasting on Jesus. Like, let's actually savor Jesus. We, we were never meant to just rush in, eat the bread of life, and drink some living water here and there. No, we're to continuously be feasting on Jesus, drinking Jesus, savoring Christ. We don't, we don't chug the living water so we can get on to the next thing. No, we treasure Jesus. You can love other things that God made for you to love, but don't disorder those loves. Love Jesus more than any other. Make the bread of life the center of your meal. Let's not feast on, on other good things. Let's feast on what is the best. Let's drink from the well that is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, that as, as we come to your word, it is living and active, Lord. You, you had me think about things this week that I've never thought of before. God, the, the well is deep. We will never, 10,000 years into eternity, we will never stop marveling at who you are, at how great you are, how magnificent you are, how, how unfathomable it is that you love us. Jesus, that you died for us. 
Lord, would we be a people that, that aren't so busy in life that, that, man, that we treat you like a drive-in, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a people that, that feast on you. And, and, and every time we don't, that we'd be just so aware of it. That, that every time we run to something else, that, man, that we wouldn't be satisfied. That that, that would be so fleeting, Lord, that, that it would call us back to knowing you, to savoring you, to treasuring you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each week, we're uh, trying to give you a, a practice coming out of the sermon as, as we talk about this feasting on Jesus. Um, so our, our practice this week and, uh, is, is solitude. It's for you to find time this week, right? Free of distraction, free of, of noises, recognizing that, that Jesus is the feast and, and feasting on him. Let me read this verse from John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus cries out, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. So this week, I'd, I'd encourage you, make space to have solitude with Jesus.